Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. We take you up till the top of the hour. A lot to tackle over the next 60 minutes. We'll get to your phone calls at 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We're going to continue to preview the 2018 Giants opponents as we move along. And in Week 15, the Giants will be hosting the Tennessee Titans at MetLife Stadium to provide more insight on Tennessee. Right off the top of the show, we're joined by the radio play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans, and that is Mike Keith. Mike, you got Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Hi, Mike. I'm great, Lance. Jeff, it's very good to be with you. And it's so funny you would say in week 15, and I'm <laughs> thinking about December 16th, and I, and I just think about how different these two football teams yeah. may look in five months from what we're discussing right now, <laughs> which is one of the great things about the NFL is – you know, you you never quite know. You think you know, but you never quite know everything. And I, I think it's one of the reasons that the NFL is the most popular sport in the United States because it, it's just such a roller coaster ride starting in September and going all the way through. Uh, the best team in September is rarely the best team in Week 15. So I think it's going to be interesting to see for both of these clubs the progress that they make during the course of the season. Well, well said, Mike. I agree with you 100%. What appears on paper right now could be very different when we're talking about these two teams in December. But the Titans, unlike the Giants, did go to the playoffs last year. They were 9-7, and seven, got a wild card, made it to the second round of the postseason. So let's start with the quarterback position, Mike. And Marcus Mariota played 15 games last season, but statistically the numbers did not jump off the page. 13 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Now has a new offensive coordinator in Matt LaFleur who comes over from the Rams. Now, how much do you expect Marcus Mariota to bounce back? back and what do you think this new offense is going to do for him <laughs> maybe the numbers did jump off the page which is why we have a new coaching staff. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's there's some of that because he did throw more picks than touchdowns I think several things stand out first of all Mariota was coming off a pretty serious broken leg and it limited him last offseason and then in the October, the early October game at Houston, he popped a hamstring big and missed a week and then came back and played for several weeks when maybe he could have or should have been sitting. So those things combined to not get him off to the best start. And then offensively, the team just never got in a groove until right at the end of the season. He was playing very well at the end of the year. And they asked Mike Malarkey, who is a really good football coach and a guy who did a great job turning this thing around, they asked him what sort of changes he was going to make, what he was going to look at doing. And Coach Malarkey's had a lot of success, a lot of different places with his offense, and he did not want to make major changes, which forced the Titans to make a decision. They could let him go into the final year of a contract, they could extend his contract and say, okay, we believe in what you're going to do. Or they could say, you know, you've done a good job to this point, but this is the place where we get off the bus and we make a change. And the ownership, the controlling owner, Amy Adams Strunk, made the decision that, that if we were going to get to a point that we were going to be a consistent contender, we had to do things to help Mariota and and she wanted to go in a different direction. She wanted to look at, at something different. And so they let Malarkey go, and with him, the staff was swept away. They interviewed three coaches for the job. This may be one of the best coaching search successes in recent NFL history. They interviewed Steve Wilkes, who's now the head coach in Arizona. Well, that was a pretty good interview. They interviewed Mike Rabel, who they hired, and they interviewed Matt LaFleur, who is now the offensive coordinator. So... <laughs> They felt like they did really well with their search. And when Vrabel did not get the guy he initially wanted as offensive coordinator, they said to him, John Robinson, the GM, says, hey, you know, um, why don't you talk to Matt LaFleur? He really impressed us in his interview for head coach. And Vrabel, in essence, said, I don't know him, but I would be happy to have a conversation with him and, and let me do a little background. And Vrabel came away just blown away with what LaFleur does. His background is in the Shanahan, Kubiak sort of scheme. They're going to move the quarterback around in the pocket. They're going to take advantage of Mariota's mobility. 
They're going to give him a lot of quick options. They're going to run the football differently. They're going to try to take away a lot of the reads from the receivers to allow them to play faster. And Mariota has looked very comfortable with what we've seen so far. So, Lance, sorry, long answer to your question. <laughs> no worries. But what the, what the Titans have found in this so far is they've made a significant change. Mariota still has a lot to learn, but he's healthy. He's certainly willing to learn. And it feels like this system fits not only his skill set very well, but also the Marcus Mariota in year four. And, and, you know, that's a different Marcus Mariota than 2015 or 16 or 17. This, this might be the absolute right change for him at the right time. And that's what the Titans are counting on. LaFleur is very impressive. I'm going to tell you guys, Matt LaFleur will be a head coach in this league very soon. He, he is not going to be as the offensive coordinator with the Titans for 10 years, I don't think. Uh, he is. He blows you away with how he runs things and his pedigree. The, the McVay, uh, Gruden, the Shanahan family, all of the people that he's been with. I mean, you can see it and feel it in him. Well, I, I look at the. You know, you look at the the receivers that the Titans have. I think last year you'll agree with me, Mike, is that you know that was probably an area where Marcus Mariota needed a little bit more production out of those guys. Um, you know. There's always, and I'm going to come back to this. I just want you to, I'm going to prep you for it because I think that a lot of people have been talking about Des Bryant to the Titans and that kind of stuff. But when you look at the projected story, Corey Davis coming off a, a rookie season last year, not a great season, looking for a lot out of him this year. Um, talk to me a little bit about these wide receivers because when I look at Matt LaFleur, I think of the Rams and I think of how that offense runs and then how they have to have these receivers in order for to that offense to work like it did at the Rams. Talk a little bit about that position and, if you will, about Des Bryant. Well, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right, and you're projecting well, which is what the Titans have to do. You know, Cooper Cup last year as a rookie – what, 62 catches for nearly 900 yards. So the system is wide receiver friendly. I think a Taewon Taylor, who was a rookie last year, was a third-round draft pick, I think he's going to blossom. I think Davis, who you may or may not remember, came off a pretty significant ankle surgery and, like Mariota, wasn't able to do much in the offseason and then hurt a hamstring early in the year as well. It seemed to be a theme with the two of them. They're working themselves back, but they weren't able to do as much football-wise. And suddenly, you know, maybe that quick twitch having to play fast had some impact on a, on a hamstring injury for both of those guys because they had been able to do the conditioning things, but they hadn't been able to do all the football things. And so now he's healthy. Uh, he twisted an ankle a little bit in June, but he's fine. He'll be ready to go to start a training camp. I think he's going to be a big-time player. They return Richard Matthews, who's been more productive than Des Bryant over the last three years, if you compare the statistics. They also they also get a player back who had a nice rookie year in 2016 by the name of Tajay Sharp, who missed all of last year. They added Michael Campanero from Baltimore, who they think can sort of fit into the system. And they were able to attract a really, really good group of rookie undrafted free agents because these guys knew that the Titans might have the need for someone. Keep your eye on a guy named Jordan Vesey out of Cal and then another guy named Deontay Burnett out of USC. Keep an eye on those guys throughout the preseason. There are still questions. And that's why the Des Bryant, you know, we're, we're, what we like to do in the offseason, all of us, is we're, we're going to do A plus B equals C. <laughs> it's like A a, the Titans look like they need help at wide receiver. B, Des Bryant's available. C, the Titans signed Des Bryant. Where does Des Bryant help the Titans? In the red zone. You know, he, he, <laughs> he helps in the red zone very dramatically, but they already have Delaney Walker for that. Sure. You know, they have as, they have as good. If you're looking for a red zone matchup problem, Delaney Walker is here, and the Titans are going to have another surprise in that area in the other tight end by the name of Jonu Smith who's in his second year. Uh, I mean, it's a good call on the red zone, but he doesn't run quite as well as he did. I will say this. 
the Titans general manager, John Robinson, is capable of a surprise at any moment. Oh, yeah. So I will, never, I, will, I will never again say, ever, 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 this won't happen. <laughs> because as sure as I do, they will have signed Des Bryant by the time I get to the complex in five minutes. Well, I will, so, tell, you, <laughs> I will tell you this. What, one, one thing that you have to look at with the Titans, and admirably so, is, is, is John Robinson. What, some of the things that he has done. I mean, typically his, his M.O. is to pull something out of the hat. Um, he's done a nice job at rebuilding this roster the last two years. Um, him and Mike Vrabel are working very well together. You're looking at some of the, you know, the guys that they're bringing over from New England. I think that's more of a of just how you do things move. Like, hey, listen, guys, these are these are New England Patriots guys. It's Mike Vrabel. It just smells like New England. It's going to look like New England for a <laughs> while with the Titans helmet on it. But listen, if they have the success in New England, that's all we care about, right? So, but I think that yeah, you know, John I, Robinson is he he. I, I agree with you. Just doing a little research before the show comes. Amazing to me how he works behind the scenes and what he has done to build this program the last couple of years and the fact that you know. You got the Titans go to the playoffs, they lose, they lose their coach, which Mike Malarkey is a good football coach. We all know that. Um, but, you know, I want to kind of switch gears. Talk to us. I, I am so um, – I'm very fascinated with Mike Vrabel. I, I feel like he, is, he was always a head coach in the making, and now he's got this head coaching position. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen in Mike and his leadership and how he does things off and off the field, on and off the field. Well, it's funny because I was with Philip Fulmer at the University of Tennessee when he became the head coach, and he was a first-time head coach. And, I mean, this is a guy who's 100 games over 500 in his college career. He's at the College Football Hall of Fame. And yet, in his first couple years as a head coach, he had those moments of the first-time head coach. Mm-hmm. You know, there were these moments where something came up he didn't quite anticipate, and he, and he learned from it. I mean, it happens. Vrabel, amazingly to me, feels more prepared than Fulmer did. And he's only been coaching six years. He, I mean, the guys on – somebody said when the Titans hired him, one of my relatives, I was talking to him, and I said, yeah, we're going to hire Mike Vrabel. I go, isn't he still playing? <laughs> you know, that was, that was the feeling. Yeah, no, absolutely. It wasn't that dumb a question. I mean, it felt like yesterday that he was still going. This guy, he's amazed me. I have been dumbfounded at his preparation. I'm dumbfounded when I go into meetings with him, the questions that he asks. And, you know, the stuff I do isn't terribly important in in football world. (laughs) But you've got to have meetings about we're going to do your coaches show, we're going to do this, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And he already has a thought about, okay, now we're going to do it at this time. Why do we do it at this time? I get it. What if we did this on the show? Uh, the guy has a worldview that you wouldn't expect from the guy who was just playing seven years ago. It's amazing. Um, he he has built something with the players, too. He has a very, very good off-the-field relationship with them. He has worked at that. He has made it clear to them. He wants to know about them. And yet, he's also made it clear to them they are not friends on the field. They are not pals. He is going to coach hard because his message to them is, I know you want to stay in this league. I know you want to make money. I know you want to be great. And the way that I can help you most there is to coach you hard. I'm not your pal on the field. And yet he can flip the switch when they leave the field and have a different relationship. He says he gets that from his father, who was a high school basketball coach for years. Uh, it's it's very different, and so I, I was surprised. You know, I, I was very surprised about that because I've been around some other first-time head coaches. I use Coach Fulmer as a reference because of his level of eventual success, but this guy is, I think he's special. I really do. I think he's going to be special, and I get it why so many people were interested in him you know, last off season, why so many people were, were interviewing him already in this past off season. He's a different guy. I, I mean, he really, really is. 
We're talking with Mike Keith, Titans radio play-by-play announcer. And, Mike, you were building a lot of parallels between the Rams and the Titans, and it's understandable because of Matt LaFleur's connection and what he did with Jared Goff. What I also think is an important trend when you look over NFL history, when you bring in a first-time head coach, you want to give them coordinators who have experience or maybe some head coaching experience. And, you know, similar to the Rams with Sean McVay coming in, they gave him Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator. And now Mike Vrabel's got Dean Pease, who at least has been yeah. around the NFL. This is certainly not his first rodeo. Correct. He came out of retirement, and you know he's dealt with a variety of different personalities and teams. How beneficial do you think Dean Pease's presence is going to be for a first-time head coach like Mike Vrabel? Was the most important hire of all, in my opinion, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, first of all, the Titans had a pretty good defensive coordinator in Dick LeBeau. You might have heard of Um <laughs> Dick LeBeau saw this defense improve dramatically last year. They gave up 30 less yards per game in 2017 than they did in 2016. So they were improving and really beginning to get his system. Dean Pease runs a very similar 3-4 defense. So you don't have to throw all the personnel out. You don't have to start all over. And now you have a chance to build on something with another very respected coach. The players love Coach LeBeau. What a special coach and human being he is. And now they have a guy in Dean Pease that they feel the same way about. You know, we got younger. We went from 80 to 69 (laughs) in terms of the age of our defensive coordinator. The other other part of it, too, guys, is Coach Pease – He's able to see this group. He saw them a year ago. He certainly knows them, and he knew the offense. He's given the Titans some offensive coaches some good thoughts about when they played last year, how they scouted them. But wow. his overview for, for how he's coached, what he gives Brable in terms of that confidence overall, and this, this defense may be one of the best in the NFL before the year ends. They are veterans. They are talented. They have playmakers. They've added some more playmakers, getting a guy like Malcolm Butler, and now you're going to be able to slide Logan Ryan into the nickel spot, potentially. They may do it differently, but that looks like the potential. This may be a really, really good defense. So they've given Vrabel, or Vrabel gave himself, because he's the one that went after Pease and talked him out of retirement. You know, Pease was his coach in New England, so they're very close, philosophically on the same page. And this team may be able to lean on defense for a while as its offense gets up to speed. Let me ask you a question, staying on the defensive side. Um, the linebacking position, you know, the drafted Rashid, Rashid, <laughs> Rashawn Evans, okay, which we – I mean, listen, this guy's a heck I of a football player. I knew what you meant. I know you did. <laughs> um, heck of a football player. I mean, I, we, we went – I think we went over <laughs> – a thousand first-round draft picks this in our little our little big blue kickoff scouting the NFL draft last last year coming into this. But what a player! How is he going to mix into that three-four defense? And I'm sure that uh, you know Dean Pease is going to find it, find himself wanting to play him, you know, all three downs and be on that field as much as he can. Yeah, they're very lucky. Uh, they signed Will Compton from Washington too, who is another very capable player. Yep. And Compton may be able to hold that seat long enough for Evans to sort of get up to speed. I don't think they'll have to hurry Evans. But the thing they really liked about Evans, too, not only did he play at Alabama and he played well, but, you know, he couldn't get on the field for three years as a starter because there are only like 97 first-round draft picks <laughs> on the Alabama defense. Yeah, yeah. including – yeah. But, um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, but he, but he was so good in practice that they said, you know what? We're going to put you at defensive end on third down and let you rush the passer. This is what they did with him his first three years. He, he was such a capable player, they found a way to get him on the field. And what it ended up doing is it ended up making him a much more well-rounded player. He can play the pass, he can play the run, and he can rush the passer. So, honestly, Jeff, even if he doesn't – you know, win the day one starting job, I think he's going to have a role on this defense. And they, this defense may be one of those units like what Jim Schwartz had when he was here years ago, 
where they essentially play like an 18-man unit. You know, they have different groups that come in in different packages. They've got a really good nickel linebacker in Jayon Brown, who's in his second year. And, you know, in the secondary, they basically have three starting corners now that they've added Malcolm Butler to Dory Jackson and Logan Ryan. Uh, they have a lot of depth in the defensive line to use in different ways. Um, I, I think, you know, the linebacker position is one that I was worried about, and now I'm not nearly as worried about it with Evans getting here and also getting Harold Landry. I mean, to get Harold Landry in the second round, those were the two players the Titans had targeted entering the draft, Evans and Landry. And amazingly, they ended up with both of them, which is a big deal for this franchise for this year to add that young talent. But it's an even bigger deal going forward, guys, because they have potential free agents after the year at the linebacker positions, both inside and outside. And they think they've given themselves a lot of freedom going forward that they needed by adding these two players. Landry could have a bigger impact as a rookie than Evans. That's possible. Not saying it's going to happen, not predicting it, but for how he could be used, he could be a bigger factor this year. And that's a and that's a good thing to be able to say. Well, depth is a good problem to have, as you mentioned, Mike, and I think yeah. the connection to Jim Schwartz is a great example because if the Eagles showed us anything this past season, when you can rotate personnel, whether it be at linebacker, the secondary, the defensive line, you keep guys fresh once you get to the fourth quarter, and that's a big reason why the Eagles, I think, won the Super Bowl. Another position that I want to focus on defense, Mike, is you talked about the secondary and having the luxury of Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson coming off his rookie campaign. One guy that I probably don't think gets enough attention across the NFL is Kevin Byard and the year he put together last <laughs> season, Mike. I mean, I, I feel like nobody talks about him when you talk about some of the top safeties in the National Football League. What was about his play that everything just seemed to click last year? Well, it's funny. Deion Sanders didn't know who exactly. he was. Exactly. He did it on he Twitter. Made, <laughs> after he made the Pro Bowl and after he made all pro. So I think your your point is well made there. Um, this, this is a guy who's just... Did you ever know that guy when you were growing up playing whatever sport and he was just good? He just, he just, you know, the ball seemed to come to him. He always made the big play. And this is that guy. Kevin Byard is that guy. I, I told everybody who would listen last off season. I, I said, I, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm telling you, he's going to be really, really good. He just makes things happen. He recovers fumbles. He intercepts passes. He's a good tackler. Uh, he has an innate ability to to be where he needs to be. And, guys, he's one of those dudes, too. He just loves it. I was in our bubble two nights ago doing my weak middle-aged man workout. <laughs> and who's there? Kevin Byard's in there working out on his own. You know, he just shows up. And, I mean, there, there's nobody there. And, I Mike, mean, you went toe-to-toe with him, the, right? You went toe-to-toe with him in terms of lifting weights, I'm sure. I know that's the rumor. That is the rumor <laughs> on on the Twitter machine, but that is uh, that is not true. That is 100% not true. But, I mean, you, you love guys who love it. And I was lucky early in my career when I came from college to the NFL to be around Eddie George. And Eddie George was always in the, in the weight room or somewhere doing something on his own. And you could just see the difference in the pros. And that, to me, is always the biggest development with young players is how quickly do they become a pro? How, do they, how quickly is it obvious they know they've got to get sleep? They can't eat six cheeseburgers. They can't play Madden all night long. You know, do, do they sort of get it? Byard is a guy who was like that the minute he got here. And his family situation uh, made him that way. He came from a really difficult situation with his family where he essentially had to raise his brothers and sisters for a period of time in high school. When he got to Middle Tennessee State, he immediately was grown up. When he got here, he was grown up. I think he's going to be a good player in this league for a long, long time. And I think by some point in the 2018 season, everybody's going to know Kevin Byard's name. Well, you know, when you're in the NFL, and I've played a long time at it, you, there there are those guys where 
we call him the pros pro, and, and, and this, is a, this is a guy that came into the NFL already grown up. I mean, just from the stories you just said, and it's just really nice to see that those kind of guys that, you know, he'll last. Um, there, there's a lot of guys out there that are they're, they're so smart. Their, their ability, their physical ability may not be the best, but the fact that it is that they're workers and they understand the game, they'll stick around a long time. Will he last as long as you, Jeff? That's the I question. I doubt it. <laughs> I would bet my money that he wouldn't. But you know, there's a good. Are seg- you still playing, Jeff? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm like Mike Vrabel. That people still think I'm playing, right? But I'm not. I'm not. I've uh, I've cashed in, so I'm on. But you know, listen, I, I can't go without an interview, without saying something about the special teams. Of group. course, well, and I will tell you, this is a special teams special special teams unit right here. Um, yeah. And you know, and we you won't have to spend an hour on this, but I want you to tight just touch lightly on the kicker and the punter here because these guys are good. I mean, really, really good. Um, Steve Hoffman is, has been a lifelong lifelong friend of mine, um, and we he's now living here in Jersey. And we were, we were out a few weeks ago talking about Brett and Ryan. I mean, he he's he just can't talk enough about those guys and how good they are. Yeah, and he did a great job with both of them, sort of refining their technique. Mm-hmm. And they have a great snapper too, and the guy a guy named Bo Brinkley who is, you know, a, a guy who does a great job covering kicks for us, you know, covering punts for us. He's he's that kind of guy. We have a lot of guys who do little things. Yeah. John Robinson has made a point to go out and sign Darren Bates, uh, Brendan Trawick, who went to the Pro Bowl last year uh, as a kick cover guy. You mentioned uh, Brett Kern is – he's a better punter than Craig Hendrick, and I never thought I would say that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Craig Hendrick – you talk about a pro's pro. Craig Hentrick was phenomenal. Brett Kern is better, largely because Craig Hentrick has helped train him, yeah. has has given him tips, and has worked with him. Suckup has become that kicker that, as he's gotten to thirty, he's better than he was at twenty-two sure. because he's de- he's developed a lot of consistency. And the guy who's taken over, and, and I'm sure Hoffman would agree with this too. Uh, they got a young coach by the name of Craig Ackerman, who they they not only kept but they promoted. This guy is is going to be a really special special teams coach. Uh, you know, the kickoff in the game is going to look vastly different in terms of how you staff it, of how you staff kickoff returns, of who you use as a returner. And this guy's already got a lot of plans that way. I spent thirty minutes talking to him at the coffee machine. I didn't mean to. But I said, how is it going to look different with the rules changes? He says, you're, you know, you're going to use these kind of players because you can't use a wedge. And, and they have a lot of these kind of guys that I think it could make a difference in a game or two this year because of the snapper, because of the kickers, because of the coverage guys, because of the way they've developed this roster. I think it may be a secret weapon for the Titans that wins them a ball game somewhere down the line and certainly helps them in a bunch of others. Talking with Mike Keith, the Titans radio play-by-play announcer. Mike, last one for me, what you just touched on, field position, time of possession, such important elements when you're trying to win football games, and that brings me back to offense. We were focusing on the quarterback. We focused on the wide receiver position. When Mike Malarkey was the head coach, he was known for that ground-and-pound style of football. Sure. DeMarco Murray retired, so they're now transitioning to Derrick Henry, but you know, people may overlook the fact they signed Deion Lewis in free agency, yet another Patriot tie-in which I don't think many people are surprised. How do you see the carries and the workload balancing out in the backfield? And it seems as if the offensive line is returning for the most part. How important is that continuity as part of the run game as well? I think there's importance, but I think there are also going to be changes based on what LaFleur wants to do in the run game. Uh, The battle in the offensive line is is going to be at left guard. So other than that, I think Conklin will get back from the ACL. I think Lawan will sign his contract. I don't. I, mean, I think it'll be back to normal pretty quickly there. I love Deion Lewis because we just saw him in January, and when we were preparing to play against him, the coaching staff that I spoke with was blown away by the fact that this back at 5'8", 195 pounds, is the versatile sort of Darren Sproles kind of guy, and yet he has the ability to really run the football well inside, which for a guy that size is unheard of. So when we got a chance to sign him, I thought to myself, he is the perfect complement 
for Derrick Henry because not only is Henry 55 pounds heavier and, and a good back in his own right, but because of Lewis's versatility, you are able to run the same plays with him, if you choose to, than you are with Derrick Henry. So when Lewis comes in the game, the defense isn't going to immediately say, oh, this is going to be an outside run or a screen pass. He can, he can jam it up inside. He's hard to find. He's strong. He's tough. Uh, I, I like this player very much. And talk about all the Patriots and, and signing players from the Patriots. And people say, oh, that's you know, Mike Vrabel and John Robinson you know, wanting their system and their locker room. And I think that's true. But you know what else, guys? They're good. Yeah, yeah. The Patriots really good have good. They have <laughs> yeah, really absolutely. good players. The the goal in this game, in my mind, personnel wise, and and you know, I'm just a broadcaster. Let's get a bunch of good players. Let's get as many good <laughs> players as possible. Deion Lewis, when healthy, is really really good. And now that he's gotten healthy, he's not a worn out player. They signed him for what, if you stare at it, is a really good contract for him and for the Titans. And he's the perfect complement to this big back who I think has a chance to be special. I see them, again, long answer, I apologize. I see them as 1A and 1B. Sure. 1A and 1B, I think, is, is how it's going to be more than the, the number one and the number two. I think Henry will end up with more carries, but I don't think Henry is going to have an Eddie George number of carries. We used to see Eddie George regularly be in or around 400 carries. I don't think there's any way that happens. Last one for me. It's really not a question. It's more of an observation on my point. Is this, you know, looking at the Giants and, you know, with with uh, with Pat Shermer coming in here, the new head coach in free agency, he went out and filled a void that was in the that was needed in the locker room. I don't see that there was much of a need in the Tennessee locker room as it is the Giants, and I'm talking no. about leadership here. Um, so when I look yeah. at these guys that they go out and sign, a Deion Lewis, a Malcolm Butler, you know, Mike Vrabel knows those guys. He knows how much of a how much of a leaders that they are. Um, and th- it seems to me that this roster is is put together pretty good for and prime for a good good run. You've got these guys that are used to those types of runs. I think that is real important for for the Tennessee Titans and having that leadership. And I think a lot of it is not only, like you said, Mike, that they're not only good players, they're very, very good leaders. I mean, listen, it's 100% correct. It was something that started with Rustin Webster, the last general manager, uh, signing Delaney Walker, you know, going out and, and drafting the players that he drafted, especially Marcus Mariota. John Robinson took the foundation and has really built on that dramatically. That character, that professionalism is something they've built on. And here's what impresses me most about Vrabel. And obviously, Jeff, you played for several coaches. You know, some guys walk in and they say, I got to show everybody that I'm in charge. So I'm going to blow up this, I'm going to blow up that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I, you're you're going to learn quickly that I'm the guy here. I'm the dude. <laughs> Vrabel hasn't done any of that. Vrabel hasn't done any of that. Now, maybe that's because, and this is a guy who could hire an offensive coordinator who was competition for the head coaching job. What does that say about his confidence in himself as a human being? Real leaders, real people with confidence don't have to tell you they just show you. That's correct. And he has, and he has come in and he has said, "Listen, I'm in charge. You know that. I'm going to do some things my way. You know that. But we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. That this is not. This is. I think the third time since the year 2000 that a coach has been fired after winning the playoff game in the NFL happens in the NBA and Major League Baseball. Yeah, doesn't happen in the NFL." And Vrabel's saying, this is not a rebuilding job. So I'm going to lean on my locker room. I'm going to develop it my way. I'm going to have these things come into play. And overall, I think we're going to end up being a a good football team. We're going to do it my way, and you know that. But I don't feel the need to tear it all down just because I can. And to me, again, that's Vrabel showing that he's way ahead of the curve because I've, I've been involved with a couple of coaches that just tore down things just to do it. And that's silly. I mean, it's silly, and, and that's also why they got fired. Yeah, putting your stamp on the team just for sake of putting your stamp on the team. Well, well I you... mean, put your stamp. Hey, 
go win 12 games. I promise you your stamps on the team. And, and the fact of the matter is, when you've got a five-year contract to, ho- to coach an NFL team, you, your stamp's on the team. You don't have to tell everybody. It's like Vrabel refuses to talk about himself as a player, except for one thing. He does like it when you ask about his 12 touchdown catches. <laughs> he, li- he, likes, he likes to talk about the fact that when they put him in and they threw to him 12 times, he caught 12 touchdown passes, which I think is hilarious. But will he talk about the sacks and being an all-pro? No. He hates it. The players love his resume. They also love the fact that he's not talking about back in my day, and he doesn't want to discuss that. He says, this is your day. This is not my day. Well, it's also – it is a little bit his day because, you know what, you can talk about him being a player – but now he's a coach and a head coach, and this is new right. for him too. So, you know, there's not a lot to talk about there because there's no history there yet. And I'm sure that uh, going forward there's going to be a little bit of history for the Titans, and, uh, you know, it looks like they're they're primed to have a nice season. So, Well, it should be. Well, it, we hope so. Yeah. You know, the, Go ahead, Mike. This yeah. franchise has, ne- has never had three straight winning seasons. This is the 20th year of the Titans. Never had three straight winning seasons. So even though seven playoff appearances in 19 years isn't bad, three straight winning seasons would be pretty exciting. Well, you got the Titans looking to build off their postseason performance last year. The Giants trying to get back to the playoffs as it'll be the Giants and the Titans week 15 at MetLife Stadium. Mike, it'll be interesting to see how much relevancy this interview had when we meet again in December, as (laughs) you noted off the top of the interview. But really appreciate the time and the inside. A lot of great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks so much. And and when that game comes around in December, Jeff, I have your football card when you played for the Canton Bulldogs. Would you mind signing it for me? <laughs> Absolutely. You're coming oh, that'll here, be right? great. They're coming here. I want to be present. Are they, they are coming okay, here, yes. Good. Yeah. All right, so Lance and I do the uh, the pregame show for the Giants, and hopefully maybe we get you back on the program and talk a little bit about what yeah. we talked about today. And, yeah, I will sign that Canton Bulldogs uh, uh, football card for you. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, Mike, here. take it easy. Great stuff out of Mike Keith of the Titans Radio Network, their play-by-play announcer in a matchup that we won't see for quite some time, but uh, it is important to at least get an idea of who the Giants are going up against. And tomorrow we're going to preview our final opponent, that being the Indianapolis Colts. And we're going to open up the phone lines here at 201-939-4513. So if you want to weigh in on anything Giants-related to the Titans, feel free to give us a ring. But I think what's interesting if we take the Titans conversation a bit further, Jeff, is the division overall of the AFC South. I I was, you know, I I didn't have time, and I knew that if I had mentioned that, we might have gone another hour. (laughs) We could have. But yeah, yeah, but that division is ridiculous. And we could get into that more tomorrow when we talk to Colts, but I mean, between you and I, we can at least delve into it. Everybody, I think, in years past, Jeff, when you think about the AFC South, eh, you know, maybe Indianapolis makes some noise, Jacksonville was nothing to write home about, Tennessee, you know, middle of the pack, yeah. and then the Houston Texans were a team. You know, you'd make the playoffs. They were good at defense, but the quarterback was a merry-go-round. Now, all of a sudden, Jeff, Tennessee's coming off a playoff appearance. Indianapolis gets Andrew Luck back. Deshaun Watson returns for the Texans, and they have a respectable defense. And, and Jacksonville, Jacksonville is a juggernaut almost yeah. with the way that their yeah. defense is playing and how their quarterback position and Leonard Fournette have come along. So, you know, this is a much deeper division than in years past. This is not a cakewalk when you get the AFC South on your schedule. Which, which also brings me to when you look at the Giants' schedule, and I've said this before, and you guys know I've said this on this program, and we continue to say it because the fact is is that when you look at this Giants' schedule and you look at the divisions that the Giants are playing, and just, for instance, the, what we just talked about, they got to play Jacksonville. they got to play Indianapolis. They've got to play the Titans. This, this is a very tough schedule, and even though the Giants, I feel, are much improved, they are. You know, these these games and these are some tough, tough opponents that this Giants team has to play, particularly the first eight games of the season. Now they don't play the Titans till the very end of the season, which you know, who knows? I would imagine that the Titans, if it goes anywhere that we think it's going to be, that's going to be a very tough, tight division, and they'll, they'll be playing for something in, in September, or I mean, excuse me, the 15th week of the season, and you hope that the Giants will too. Well, and what you just touched on, 
you don't know how a lot of these teams are going to play out because we can't predict injuries and so forth. But I think most people who love to play the paper test, Jeff, yeah. you look at the schedule for the Giants, specifically the last four games. Okay, two of the four games are in the division. Not a surprise. That's how the schedule sure. is always structured. And then you see Tennessee and Indianapolis. Okay, two AFC opponents and in back-to-back -back weeks. Meh. Exactly. And who knows? I mean, those two games could be extremely challenging. Now, from a tiebreaker perspective, eh. they're not going to mean anything because right. it's out of conference. But if it comes down to the nitty-gritty in the division or you're battling for a wild-card spot, yeah, those out-of-conference games could be extremely important. Yep, and, and you know it's it's you don't ever want to look you know look ahead because when you have playing those division opponents, like you said, they do it for a reason. The last month of the season, you definitely. Oh, I thought that was my phone. It, my phone is ringing. Well, you're an important person. Yeah, we, important. we don't want to. It's also a one eight hundred number. Deprive you the opportunity. Me. So I don't know if am that's going to be as one? important. Oh no, only, no, I get him too. One? No, you're, you're not on every an island. Every single yes, day. Yes, every day. It's a new adventure. And unfortunately, because I think everyone pretty much knows that I that I'm in the real estate business, I have to answer my phone, even if because if, you just don't know. Because there's who's so calling. many people yeah. that come from from other states that might keep their cell phone number, so it might say Massachusetts or you know Des Moines. Iowa. I, I don't know. No clue. And yeah. then I pick it up and it's like, hi, this is Julie. Got that line of credit for $6 million if you want to apply for it. Like, and you're okay. like, that was not the call I no. was expecting. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, but no thank you. The robo calls, yeah. I guess they're called. Yeah, I exactly. guess so. I'm not, oh, I'm not the only one. No, okay. not at all. That's good. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, but back on football, which more importantly, so you know, so just throw a little. We cover caution. a little bit of everything, by the way, we in this do. program. Eight hundred yeah. phone numbers, you name it. Anyway, and, and, yes. and a little bit of golf because yes. I told I told Lance it was I had to I had to pry myself away from the TV watching the U.S. the uh, the British, British Open, Open this morning, which um you know is kind of if you if you do like I do I don't wa I try not to watch a lot of it until I can actually watch it you know I I don't because you know they're so far ahead of time. So I don't like to, to read about the scores and this, and I like to watch it. Oh, you like it, to watch it. I got so it. So okay. I don't want to know who's leading. Like the equivalency of if you DVR a game, Correct. you don't want to look at your phone yeah. or everything yeah. else. I got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And um, it's, I'm a little crazy that way. But, you know, Sunday morning I'll be up early, very early, watching it because uh, that it's hopefully it will be, you know, I don't know. We're going to get off the subject real quickly, but they're hitting 450-yard drives over there. Well, because is, it's so dry. Yeah, I mean, they, it's they ever hear ridiculous. of water? Yeah. I mean, sprinklers? <laughs> what do you, what no, do you apparently do? not. There apparently must be a not. trout. Yeah, because when you watch it on TV, everything else is brown, and there's just little green patches everywhere. Those are the <laughs> greens, and that's it. Yeah. So, anyways, but by the way, there's always green on the pitch or the football field, which is we're going to be try to try to talk a little more football. We're apologizing. Oh, that was some tie in there. Wow, you, you gave a little soccer reference, yeah, football. I, pitch. I mean, gave the whole nine yards, a little World Cup love. I remember hearing that? the word pitch the first time I played in in Europe when we were doing years and years ago. They used to do the American Bowls where teams would go over in preseason and play. Uh, they would go play a team in London or whatever. This is when they first started learning about maybe this might work. And I remember with the Bobbies. You know, in London they had the police officers called Bobbies. They had their their, their sticks and Six, their little yeah. hats and stuff. And the guy says to me, he says, "Oh, hell, lad, you you heading out to the pitch?" <laughs> And, you're like, and I'm like, no, I'm not a pitcher. I'm a punter. Is that make? I, what, what? What do you mean a pitch? He goes, no, no, you Americans. The you pitch. Americans. Yeah, the pitch. The pitch is the field. I'm like, oh. Well, then in that case, yes, I'm heading to the pitch. <laughs> so that is how I learned about the oh, pitch. Oh, that is great. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's yeah, funny. I, you I, Americans, because yeah, you you're Americans. thinking baseball. Yeah, <laughs> you Americans. Yeah. You don't even know what a field is called. Yeah, right. Well, well, you know what, speaking of that, I had a whole conversation with one of my colleagues. The fascination with overseas nil, you know, like they can't say nothing. Yes, nil. It's <laughs> nil, yeah. or it's they can't say zero. <laughs> or or in tennis, love. Yeah, love. You know, I mean, can, can we just zero. have nothing or yeah, zero? Nothing, Is there zero. a problem? Why do we got to be zero. so politically nothing, correct yeah. in all these other sports? Uh, it's just I never understand that. Europeans, yes, as they say to us, Americans. That's what we'll return the favor. Yes, we with will. that. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. You want to weigh in on the phones on Twitter? We've got some open lines as we make our way till the top of the hour. Speaking of Twitter, we do have some questions coming in, so I want to address those, and yeah. then we will give an opportunity for more and more people to send in some questions and comments. So, Lisa at So Bad Six, <laughs> statistically, who do you see providing more yards? Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham, or Evan Ingram? Just, cur just curious. She thinks the answer is going to be Barkley. So this is obviously a question about total yards. Yeah. This is everything, rushing, receiving yards. Barkley, 
Beckham, Evan Ingram. Well, if you're going to go total yards, I have to go with Barkley because he is going to catch the ball and he's going to have a lot of uh, yards from scrimmage running the football. I mean, I listen, I could conceivably see Beckham going, if he's healthy, and going over 1,000 yards. Easily. Oh, easy. Okay, so, you know, is, is Saquon Barkley going to have 1,000 yards rushing and maybe 400 yards receiving? There's 1,400. So I would put it between those two. It would be very close. Yeah, I don't think Ingram, I mean, no disrespect to him. I just don't think he's going to top the team. I I think certainly he's going to have an opportunity to even put up more than he did last year. But it's certainly a race between Beckham as well as Barkley. To your point, I'm actually, I'm looking up Beckham's stats right now. I'm curious. So his career high, 1,450. And that was in a season where he played 15 games. Then his other two seasons where he's gone over 1,000, 1,305, 1,367. So if Becca back to full health, you know, 1,450, the 2016 season he played 16 games, and then 2014 his rookie year he only played 12. So those two seasons he got over 1,300. The 15 season he got 1,450, which is his career high. I'm with you. I think 1,350-1,400 is a fair estimate that's for what he thinking, can reasonably do. That's why I was thinking that that number there would be very close between the two. Because then you have to say to yourself, okay, does Barkley get to 1,000 on the ground? And then if he gets to 1,000 on the ground, okay, then you're talking that 400, 500 receiving ballpark. Now, you, know, you look at what Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey did last year, and I bring this up time and time again on the show. Now, both of them had over 80 receptions, which to me is ridiculous. It's unheard of. I find it very difficult to believe, Jeff, and I know this is more of a reception question. This is not necessarily receiving yards because you could get 400 receiving yards and you don't need 80 catches to do that. I would be stunned if Barkley gets in that 80-catch radius because I see a lot more talent around Barkley versus what Kamara and McCaffrey had around them last year. That's the biggest difference. Correct. I think another interesting comparison, if you want to see who gets closer, and I think that they'll, they will be very close, will be the touchdowns. Will Beckham and Yeah, that'll Barkley be another good question. Correct. Because now with Barkley, you're getting the combo of rushing and receiving touchdowns. Beckham is pretty much, obviously, just the receiving touchdowns. And you know Beckham's been consistent. 13, 14. 12, 13, 10. Yeah, yeah you remove last year because he only played four games. So when he's played at least double-digit games, Beckham, double he's good for double digits. Yeah. Barkley, who knows? Because you also need to account for Jeff. This is the mystery. Is Jonathan Stewart going to be the goal line back? And does that then vulture and eat away at perhaps Barkley's production within the red zone? Is he going to have to get most of his rushing touchdowns from you know 20 yards out, those big massive runs? Because could he get four receiving touchdowns? Absolutely. And then if Stewart and Goldman play a role in the red zone, maybe that limits four to five. You know, So Barkley could finish nine. Yeah, may I, not get to double digits. Yeah, and I really don't have the answer until we kind of get somewhat I've, what I'm an well, idea usage. of what this yeah. of what this offense is really. You know, none of us know other than the fact of watching what we've seen in OTAs and mini camps and things like that to how this offense is going to run. But when you look at the field, what they're doing now is all about building the offense and repping and protections and and uh, routes and coverage, all that kind. Nobody knows yet. You know, so you got to believe that they're going to take a little bit, not a little bit, but a lot of what Coach Shermer did in Minnesota. And if you look at look at what, how the, they use the backs out of the backfield there catching the football, that'll give you an idea of kind of what Saquon Barkley is going to end. And even, you know, don't get, don't be surprised if you see Wayne Gallman as a guy that's catching the football out of the backfield because I see him as a guy in open space more than an up-the-middle runner like Jonathan Stewart and Saquon Barkley. You know, now obviously he can still run the football up the middle, but I th- I think that he when he's out in space, he's a pretty good player. And remember when they drafted Wayne Gallman, he is in a he is in a, he is really good at a knack for that goal line in the red zone. Remember his thing coming out of Clemson was the yeah. guy can score touchdowns. So very interesting to see how Coach Shermer is going to design this offense around. Really, when you look at the backfield, those three guys are your people, and then all of a sudden you have the tight ends. And don't don't forget about Red Ellison, who also played up in Minnesota with uh, with Coach Shermer. So a lot of good things about this offense, and you know I I, I think everybody's excited to to score some points. I mean, this team last year, I mean, could not score anything. So if they you know if you can score more than 19, we're going to be happy. Yeah, well, I think that they certainly are hoping that they can get into the 20s, which is 
an yeah. automatic necessity in today's NFL. I mean, you have to be able to, to get at least you know, 22, 25 points to realistically have a shot at winning games. You brought up Goldman. You know, not only did he have a knack for that at Clemson, but even last year we saw a taste of what he could do when he does catch the ball out of the backfield, as you mentioned, Jeff, because remember he had that receiving touchdown against, what was it, I think Tampa Bay early in the season mm-hmm. where he caught the ball out of the backfield, got into the end zone. So they were utilizing him in that regard. They obviously wanted him to show more consistency in pass protection because that's the only way you're going to be on the field on those third down situations. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's difficult no matter who you are coming in your rookie season regardless. So um, it would be interesting to see uh, how Saquon Barkley translates that into being a rookie in the pass protection too. Now, I would imagine that it's going to be much better because you know he's the second – pick in the draft. I well, and he was they... asked to do things like that in college, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is beneficial. Um, I, I, and I, I asked this question, and I don't have the answer, is that, you know, how much are they really going to use Saquon Barkley in every aspect of this offense? I, we don't know yet. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that we, ha- we got we to gotta remember, he, he, this is his first, he's not, he didn't, hasn't taken a snap in the NFL yet. Okay, yeah, he's playing at Penn State, he's doing all that stuff, and we know that, but, you know, are you going to just insert him in there and play the dickens out of him and just get all you can for him or is that why they brought Jonathan Stewart in here because and and they have Gallman who's now in his second season we'll see how they kind of move him around and get him into the games and and how much he'll play in this in the preseason is, is another thing that I'm interested to see well depending on you know how much they want to work these guys I think the rookies it's always important for them to get some reps at the same time you're trying to play the coulda woulda shoulda game god forbid if somebody gets banged up Correct. so you know that's the balance that you have to throw out there and then people are also going to point to Odell Beckham getting banged up against Cleveland in the preseason and then that sidelined him it's the give and take I always say injuries are a part of the game Jeff and if they you are, think that way you know you're not going to put anybody on the field no they're definitely a part of the game but I think the a lot of people sometimes think that they're more than the part of the game and that and they and they throw caution to the wind and I, I, I just I understand it but I always always felt like if you played not to get hurt you're gonna get hurt bingo perfect I think that's well said and that basically sums up the point that I was getting at you can't you have to have that confident mentality you have that fearful mentality it's gonna come back to bite you now there's a difference in, in not playing a guy because you don't you think he, you don't want him to get hurt there's also a mentality of guys that that aren't ready to play mentally and physically and go out there and get hurt. Okay. So, and what I mean by that, there are guys out there that they're not in shape or, or they don't know the fundamentals, then they go out and then they get hurt. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where you have to protect them from themselves. Absolutely. Because that's... then you're really going to get in trouble. But I'm saying that if it's just a matter of, well, you want him for week one, but everything else seems to be on pace, then why not give him a few reps under those circumstances? Now, that brings me to Odell Beckham. So, you know, here's a, here's a guy where, you know, I think that you know that Odell Beckham doesn't need to play a down of football in those four weeks of reading up to the to the season, other than the fact that he's going to want to because he's a football player and he's a competitor. And, and you, we talk about this all the time. That he is a worker. The guy works his butt off at practice and does all this stuff. But, you know, is is he going to step on the field? Are they going to let him step on the field? My, the, my, my answer to that is you have to. You have to to a point. Okay, so my 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 idea is you play him a lot like Eli Manning. Okay, you got to give him you got to give him you got to get back in rust can get that some of that rust off you and get into game shape and get that kind of for the to because you have to be able to do that. You're going to go into the first game of the season, okay, and playing and and not playing any preseason games. Games and practice are way different. Pressure, speed, Everything is there, and so you got to have a guy like Odell. You got to have him in in some situations in preseason. He's going to have to play. And I think Beckham clearly in a different boat than a guy like Barkley because Jeff nope. with Barkley he hasn't played in NFL. I'm not game. comparing the two. No, no, not that you were, yeah. but I'm saying that I wouldn't mind to see Barkley get some additional work before he gets set for week one as opposed to Beckham. You're right. Yes, games and practices are different, but at this point in Beckham's career, I don't think him playing an extra few snaps in a preseason game is going to do a whole lot for the sake of his career. Other than, obviously, he is coming off an injury, and you do want him to maybe get a little bit of a taste of a game before he actually starts playing for real. Now, a lot of times you've seen that these guys that don't play in the preseason, they come out and they get that preseason, they get that pregame workout that they go through, just like it's almost like a... But it's not It's not the game situation. No, it's not the same. And, I, and I, listen, I'm, I'm kind of... The point is, is that 
you know, you, you'd like to see a guy get some – personally, like, I, I would I, – I like to play preseason because it get me ready for the season. And I know that I can – in preseason, I could work on things. Now, this has nothing to do with Odell Beckham. This is me here. I, I could work on things in the preseason knowing that it's a preseason game. It doesn't really matter to me if I kick one in the end zone or I put one on the sideline 30 yards when I'm trying to do certain things and the coaches know it. It doesn't count against statistics. doesn't count to wins and losses. Yeah. That's the thing that I liked about preseason games. And it also – as many years as I played, there was always kind of a still getting into the game mode, your routines and things like that. That is one thing that guys coming out of college have a hard time with because they have their own routines. Every player that plays football, college, collegiately, high school, pro, they all have their pregame routines with their headphones on. And, you know, maybe at the 50-yard line they do a backflip before the yeah. team. I, so when I remember – going from team to team as a free agent, I had to change up my routine a little bit because it's a different atmosphere. These guys come out of college have to develop their own new routine coming into the pros, and sometimes it's a little bit different, and they have to get used to that. That's what the, the nice thing about the NFL preseason is that you can get some of that routine That's a great taken point. care of. Yeah, You know, those first four games, you get a chance to say, okay, well, I used to do this, but I can't do that now. I got to change this and get used to it. And then once the season starts, you kind of had four weeks of getting your routine down. It's all about routine. The NFL football players are, or we are just, you know, we are Programmed. routine, routine, routine. We come in the same time of the day. We leave the same time of the day. We eat the same time of the day. We practice the same time of the day. We, you know what? At the same time of the day, you do all that kind of stuff at the same yeah. time. No, I think you bring up an excellent point, Jeff. It's good to test the waters. Absolutely. You got to do it. You got to do it. And it helps. It helps the players and it helps them develop that. Uh, routine going into the season, and and you know, a guy like Saquon Barkley, he's going to have his routines, and you know hopefully he gets those in order and, and comes out with like just firing on all cylinders. Because I can't wait for the guy to, to to play. I just can't wait to watch him play. Well, I think a lot of people are excited to not just see him, but you know just how this Pat Shermer offense is going to operate with uh, all the different personnel. And I I think that you know we talk about the offense so much because you got Odell Beckham and Ingram and Shepard and and Saquon, but to me. Uh, the offense is going to be fine. I, I think when you look at this defensive side, flipping from a 4-3 to a 3-4, and now this this defense is going to have a whole new – I mean, JPP is, is gone. And now that you've got uh, – you know, it's just a, a completely different animal, this defense now, a new coordinator. I'm more – I'm excited to watch the offense play because I think that they can be good. I think this offense – can be a top five offense, okay? I'm just a little bit – the defense is, is going to take a little bit, you know, I think that they got to get the scheme down and, and Coach Betcher and all those kind of things, so we'll see what happens. But the defense, I, I want to see how they how they evolve into this new 3-4 with the personnel that's here. I'm 100% with you, Jeff, and it's interesting because I have some conversations on Twitter, and I, I think sometimes it's 50-50. Some fans – are fine about the offense like you and me. And I'm not saying that it's automatic they're going to score 30 points a game, but I think that you at least feel with the guys coming back from injury, the players they drafted, Pat Shermer's experience, on paper things look good, and I don't think it's asking for much for at least it to translate to the field. With the defense, I think it's much more the land of the unknown. And it's not that James Betcher doesn't have experience and hasn't been a good defensive coordinator. It's, it's just new personnel. It's so much new personnel, and the usual suspects are not here, meaning the guys that got to the quarterback where all your sack production well, came from last year, Jeff. That, to me, is the biggest mystery right now. Well, it is, and I, I think that that's a mystery to the football coaches, too, because they, they, you know, and you got to get after the quarterback in the National Football League nowadays. Okay. Now they brought over Ogilvy, Ogletree, okay, who Coach Betcher has seen him play for four years in that division, so he knows the type of player he is. Kareem Martin's a guy they did played for Coach Betcher right, in so he Arizona. Knows him. Yeah. So those two guys alone are gonna be able to help that defense out. But where is this pressure and sacks gonna come from? That is what I wanna see. Uh, the third corner is another one. These are kind of some hot topics that are going into training camp that, that we got to think about. I think that third cornerback position is going to be interesting, especially, especially with this new guy, Beal, that they just did a supplemental draft. Don't be surprised if this guy is on the field and playing. Um, I, I, I feel like they're very, very high on him. Um, and who is going to be that third corner? Okay, the safety position. Where, where, where are these guys going to play? Um, who's going to play where? And 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 I think that you know the guys in the middle. I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about snacks and those guys. I think those are fine. It's the outside and the linebackers. But for once, and I think you might agree with me, for once in a long, long time, I feel that this linebacker crew has some speed now that can cover 
can cover and can cover, and they're athletic. Okay, and that's what's exciting to me about the defense is just watching some of these linebackers run and make athletic plays. No, I think that's a fair point. Ogletree's arrival, P.J. Goodson coming back from injury and his upside. You know, those are two guys in particular that I think everybody is very interested to see how well they mesh and, you know, the ability to move sideline to sideline, which has not been necessarily a consistent facet of this team. Yep. And that plays into also stopping the run, which I is going to be – extremely important in addition to all this sack talk that and we're I, discussing. I think the one guy, if he can stay healthy in this system, who I think will flourish is going to be OB. I think he is. Well, they're going to need him, Jeff. They're going to have mean, he's, to. He's arguably the most proven commodity in the pass rushing But I, I feel that Coach Betcher, Coach Betcher is a coach, okay? He's a guy that will take the, he'll take the roster and he's going to, he's going to basically scheme defenses around the personnel and let them put them in the best positions to make plays. If you go back and look at what he did in Arizona, that is what he does. He doesn't just say, we're going to run this 3-4 and I need this and you're going to learn how to – he's going to say, listen, this, I'm taking you off the field on, this, on these situations because – this is not what you do well. He adapts to the personnel I'm more so put than X forces in there them and into take you off scheme. because I, you know. And that's not I'm saying that you're a bad player. I'm just telling you that I don't like you in this situation. Okay, so play for me the other downs, but that's what he's going to do, and it's going to be interesting to see. It will be. We will continue to break down the Giants tomorrow on the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, and we're going to preview our final team. Final that the team. Giants are going to be facing the Indianapolis the Colts. Colts. And we will be talking about one Mr. Luck tomorrow, I'm sure. Yes, I am sure we will, <laughs> as his health will be a big talking point on tomorrow's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and we'll speak to you tomorrow on Giants.com. Have a good one.